Today on The Matt Wall Show, another mass killing last night, but the media is less interested in covering this one. Why is that? We'll talk about it. Also, Media Matters compiled a video highlighting all of the supposed bigotry at The Daily Wire. Uh, it's really more like a greatest hits compilation, so we'll I'll, I'll play that for you today on the show, and we will answer your emails today on The Matt Wall Show. All right, so there's a new uh, Home Alone coming out. They're rebooting, remaking Home Alone. They're doing it over again uh, because this is what we're doing now, just taking every movie that, that was in the 90s and redoing it, which is more evidence, of course, that Hollywood has run out of ideas, which we already knew. But the bigger question for me, if you're doing an updated version of Home Alone, how are you going to get around the fact that modern technology exists, which was already sort of a problem for the first one, even though, yeah, cell phones, you didn't really have cell phones back in the early 90s, but you did have phones. And my memory of that movie is for somehow the mother never thought to just call the kid on the phone and talk to him. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but she never, she just never calls him. Uh, but then how, if you have cell phones now, how are you, it seems like this would be a 12 minute movie that would end with Kevin wakes up. He's, he realizes that he's been left, calls his mom on, on the cell phone. She says, oh crap, we forgot you. Turn it around now. They come back. Credits roll. End of movie. And you know what? If that's if that's what they do, if it's a 12-minute movie which ends with a cell phone call being made, I would respect that because that's gritty, that's realistic. If you're going for gritty realism, which is a thing nowadays, then uh, I think why not really why not really do it? All right, um, much to discuss today, including Media Matters compiling a greatest hits compil compilation for the Daily Wire, which we all really appreciate. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I'll, I'll play some of it. But before we do that, um, we have to talk about something quite a bit more serious. There was another, there was another, and maybe you didn't hear about this one, but there was another mass killing last night. Um, this one, though, isn't getting as much media attention, and there's a pretty obvious reason why. We'll get into that in a second, uh, talk about why this one is being ignored. But first, before we do that, a quick word from our friends at Dynatrap. Dynatrap, um, indoor fly light, it's, it's summer. You know, there's nothing more annoying in summer than having bugs and everything invading your home. It's a problem. What do you do about it? And when you've got bugs and you've got germs, you've got disease, you've got filth, um, what do you do about that? That's why we'd like to thank our sponsors over at Dynatrap. Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps, and now they've come up with a solution for indoor pests, the Dynatrap Fly Light. The Dynatrap Fly Light works day and night to attract and trap flies, fruit flies, mosquitoes, other insects. Whatever the problem is, um, this will take care of it, and it really does work. Forget about those sticky strips or whatever whatever barbaric instrument you're using to get rid of uh, bugs. Forget about that. The Dynatrap Flylight looks like a subtle nightlight that plugs into any indoor outlet. Easy as cake. Trust me, I've been using the Dynatrap Flylight for weeks now, and it has pretty much taken care of whatever pest problem we would otherwise have in the house during the summer. So get yours at Dynatrap.com. That's D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P.com. Enter the promo code Walsh. Receive 15% off any of their products. Dynatrap, the safe, silent, and simple solution to household insect control. All right, so Garden Grove, California, about 30 or so miles outside of downtown LA. Uh, that was the site last night of a mass killing spree that left four people dead. Four people killed at random by a mass murdering scumbag. So this would be the third mass killing uh, incident in America this week. Yet, this particular one 
isn't getting the same kind of attention as the others. And why is that? Well, my guess would be that it's partly because of uh, the weapon of choice. He didn't use a gun. He used a knife. And for that reason, this has gotten, as I said, um, not a ton of attention. This morning, for example, I was perusing a few of the the news sites for some reason. Went to NBCnews.com, and uh, this, this didn't even make above the fold on the website. It wasn't even one of their, if you go to, you know, you go to the website, the first few stories you see at the top wasn't at the top. You had to scroll down six or seven stories to get to this. The reason for the media to de-emphasize this story is obvious. It doesn't fit the narrative. It's not something they can use to advance a political agenda, but it's still an important story because four people died. Four people were stabbed to death as this guy went around town attacking random pedestrians. It's it's a a brutal, horrible story Um, that certainly is newsworthy, one would think. And it shows, it, it, it demonstrates a truth that I think we all need to understand. And it's it's because of this that the media ignores it. But what what it shows is you know, the minute someone decides that they want to kill mass numbers of people, and they don't care if they live or die in the process, uh, this guy did live, he was arrested, but they don't care if they live or die, they don't care if they go to jail. So they, they don't care about the consequences, and they want to kill a lot of people. Uh, the minute a person gets to that state psychologically and spiritually, there is basically no law, no law in the world that could stop them from hurting people. There's no law that's going to do it the minute someone makes that decision. Now, it, it, it's, it's unlikely the government wants us to feel otherwise, but it's it's unlikely that you have ever been saved from being a victim in one of these kinds of um, incidents by a law. You know, what I mean is it's, it's unlikely that you were ever in a situation where a person would have hurt you or shot you, stabbed you, whatever, but for laws preventing them. It, that, that's, that's probably not the case. The reason why you hopefully have never been shot or stabbed, unless you have been, but the, the reason, if you haven't been, the reason why you've been uh, uh, spared that is it's probably just because nobody ever seriously wanted to hurt you, or you were never in a place where a, a psychotic killer decided he wanted to attack. It's kind of scary to think of it that way, I know. We, we would sort of rather think that the government is this uh, all-seeing protective eye that's just stopping all bad things from happening. I may, maybe when we get very lazy, we, we, might, we may like to think of it that way, but that's not how it is. The one thing keeping us safe, keeping society together, is the simple fact that most people don't want to cause serious harm to others. If that ever changes, then chaos ensues. Now, that doesn't mean there should be no laws. Obviously, laws serve a purpose. I'm not advocating anarchy here, but the point is, uh, you. This I think here's the point. Um, we need to think of it this way. We need to think, what if my luck runs out? You know, what if I? What if? A, what if a murderous psycho ever does come to harm me? How will I protect myself in that situation? Because most likely, if that happens, 
If that murderous psycho has his eyes set on you for whatever reason, the only thing that will protect you in that moment is you. In that moment, in that situation, you are going to be the first, last, and only line of defense for yourself. And so we all need to protect ourselves. It's not paranoia. It's just being prepared. It's being safe. This is the point that gun rights advocates are trying to make. It's a very reasonable point. Even aside from the constitutional issues, which are important, obviously, um, because we can't just discard the law, and the Second Amendment is law. But even, even beyond that, it's, it's a really reasonable point. That if you're ever in a situation, and you, you have no control, really, of, uh, over whether you'll ever be in a situation, but if you're ever in a situation where someone does want to do you harm, in that, now we could talk about what laws and this and that. I mean, all, in, in that moment right there, all of that stuff melts away. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what laws are there. It doesn't matter what national conversations we're having. It doesn't matter what, what policies are enacted. It doesn't matter what initiatives we're working on. None of that matters in that moment. In fact, the police probably don't even matter in that moment because they're face-to-face now. There's, they're not going to be there in time probably for you. So it's just, can you protect yourself or not? Um, and I think uh, that's what we—that's how we all need to start. Need to start thinking. Again, not—it's not—it's not about being paranoid. It's just about realizing this basic truth that when it comes down to it, if someone is coming after you, um, if you end up, you know, in the line of sight of one of these murderous psychos, you're going to be the only person who can protect yourself. So, are you going to be able to do that or not? All right. uh, Media Matters. The fine folks at Media Matters who are huge supporters of this show uh, and every show in The Daily Wire, they they watch all our shows every day and then will frequently post highlights of the show. Um, Now, of course, they do it to try to whip up outrage against us. But the fact is, they're still watching the show. In fact, they're watching right now. So I want to say hi to whatever Media Matters minion is watching the show right now. I want to say hello. Thank you for being here. Uh, Glad to have you with us. Hope you enjoy. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you enjoy the the rest of it. so yesterday, Media Matters released something that I guess supposed to be is supposed to be some sort of expose titled "The Daily Wire is a Cesspool of Bigotry and Hatred," and it goes through the various sins of all the hosts on our site, including yours truly, all the terrible things we've said. Um, here's how they introduced the report: It says, founding by, founded by editor in chief Ben Shapiro in 2015, uh, with funding from fracking magnate and uh, former Ted Cruz donor Ferris Wilkes, the Daily Wire was intended to be a profit generating outlet mixing conservative opinion and news. The site regularly advocates positions and rhetoric that are racist, sexist, and disparaging of the LGBTQ community. While most of this comes from Shapiro uh, or Ryan Saavedra, the daily podcast host hosted by Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles, and Andrew, Andrew Clavin also regularly employ ugly rhetoric about minority and oppressed groups. Media Matters looked at their podcast released on the Daily Wire site since the beginning of, uh, of 2019 and found that the site is a platform grounded in hatred and bigotry. Below are the podcasters and examples of their sexist, racist, bigoted commentary. Uh, so Ryan got it. Ryan got a nice shout out there. I didn't realize that. Um, so congrats, Ryan. What, um, in fact, they, so they gave him, they said that he's a bigger source of bigotry than, uh, than me, Knowles, or, or Clavin. You know, I, that's not fair. What follows then is a lengthy list of uh, a bunch of stuff we've said, stuff that's supposed to be offensive, I guess. But helpfully, if you 
if you don't like reading, they also put together a compilation of all the hatred and bigotry from Daily Wire hosts. Um, but the hatred is a, much more of a highlight reel, I think, sort of a greatest hits. Actually, I'm thinking that I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks, and I'm thinking maybe I'll hire the folks at Media Matters to put together a, ga- a, gr- a couple greatest hits shows for me that I can play in my absence. Um, I don't even need to hire them, actually. They'll do it for free, uh, which is very generous. So what I want to do is take a look at their video. Um, They say they reviewed seven months of podcasts to put this together. So let's, I I think it would be rude of me after they've done all that work. It'd be very rude of me to ignore it. Um, And, and no, I, so I want to play it for you and and we'll go through and and take a look at it. So um, here we go. How is it? that drag queens have escaped the blackface backlash. Okay, actually, stop right there. Uh, I, I, I just want to say that I'm honored that I got to be first in the hate montage. This is my greatest professional achievement. And as for what I said that right there, I couldn't possibly, you know, I said that, uh, that uh, uh, drag is, is female blackface. Um, I, I, I want to stipulate I could not possibly be more right about that. It's amazing how right I am on that point. In fact, going back and watching that again, it was a lot of fun to relive my rightness. Amazingly right. Uh, Yes, drag is female blackface. It is a grotesque mockery of womanhood. Absolutely. I retract that not at all. Not, Not at all. Um. And in fact, that's a that's a point I make all the time. I make it in a lot of my speeches. And it does it people get upset about it. But I I've yet to hear anyone explain how I'm wrong. I understand that it makes your tummy hurt, it makes you upset, you don't like hearing it. Fine. Understood. And I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about your tummy. But how am I wrong? It is my contention that when you've got a man dressing up in this absurd um cartoonish costume pretending to be a woman, I think that that is demeaning to to women. I think it makes a caricature of womanhood. How am I wrong? It seems to me that the drag, that's exactly what, that's that's, that's pretty much the definition of drag, making a caricature of womanhood. That's exactly what you're doing. It's certainly not realistic. I've never, have you ever seen a woman a real woman who dresses like uh, like a drag queen dresses. You ever seen that? No. So what the what the drag queen is basically telling us is like this is how they see womanhood, and they see it in a very in, insulting and degrading light. So um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent right about that. Uh, let's go back to the clip. The very fact that women wear leggings tells you something: the female body is made to attract. Planned Parenthood is the is 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 a rapist's best friend. Now, isn't there a difference between standing up for integration, standing up for the right of black people to move into a community once they can afford it? Jew-hating Congresswoman Ilan Omar. Transgender women aren't women. Love is love, or if it feels good, do it. As a result of this, the logical conclusion is. We're going to normalize pedophilia. Obviously, they won the same-sex marriage battle. Do you think that they're going to win the redefinition of sex battle as well? If they win that battle, then it really is over. Western civilization is over at that point. The West broadly invented every single thing that's ever been invented, but and made virtually every discovery that has ever been discovered. Personally, I agree with Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump that you should not be allowed in the country 
if you think it stinks. Feminism has created this generation of women who think they matter because they're women, who think their ideas matter because they're women, who think their ideas are protected because they're women, they're not. All right, I just want to say, I disavow, I disavow that sexism from Andrew Clavin. How dare he suggest that women should be judged based on their personal individual merits and not given credit just simply for being women. How dare he suggest that? How dare he? Am I doing this right? All right, go back. But women have their own advantages. Um, mainly, they have their sexuality, and they have their appearance, and they have the desires of men. Okay, stop there again. I just want to say I disavow. I disavow the sexism of that strange homeless man talking to himself in his car. I am disgusted that he would suggest, whoever that guy is, I couldn't tell because of the sunglasses. I am disgusted that he would suggest that men are attracted to women, and this is a fact that women sometimes exploit. How dare he say, I mean, because it, it, no woman's ever done that, right? I mean, no no woman would ever dream of exploiting the fact that, that men are attracted. It's never happened, ever. Um, and so for him, for that homeless man to, to, to even suggest such a thing, Offends me personally. I think he owes an apology to women everywhere. All right, let's go back to the video. If I had to choose between these 95% of people who thrive in this Christian setting and the 5% of gay people who are cast out, uh, who ultimately find themselves rejected for who they are, uh, I would obviously choose the 95% over the 5%. I think that it is worse to slaughter babies after they've been born than to wear blackface. Wait, let's stop there again. Did Knowles just say that it's it's worse it's worse to kill babies than to paint your face black? That is so outrageous. I mean, Media Matters is right. These people, except for me, the other two, these these people are dangerous. For I mean, for for him to say that it's worse to kill a human being than to paint your face a certain color. Uh, what? Where is this guy coming from? I can see why that made it into the montage. I mean, it's not like that's a totally innocuous statement that any civilized person on the planet would agree with. That's no, 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 no. This is this is really controversial stuff. Abortion helps rapists cover up their crimes. You are just not a decent person if you support giving lethal injection to infants. Abortion doctor, number four, is a problematic term because it includes the word doctor. I would suggest the term medical assassin. There is obviously something wrong in the House of Islam. There is a lot more evidence that Ilhan Omar has sympathies for Al-Qaeda than there is that Donald Trump is a racial bigot. My joke about her was she was so angry she almost exploded, but the TSA took the belt off her. <laughs> when you come out of a hellscape like Somalia and America takes you in, nurtures you, elevates you to Congress and you don't feel grateful for that, you, there is something terribly, terribly wrong with you. She supports Sharia law, which I think is the dividing line between Muslims we can live with and Muslims we can't live with. But the question of whether it's inherently violent is important. It's certainly not a religion of peace. It's a religion that's cancerous. That anti-Jewish ideology is an ideology being embraced by Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. AOC is an ignoramus. Rashida Tlaib is an anti-Semite. Ilan Omar also, anti-Semite, they deserve all the attacks. They deserve all the trouble they're getting. Of the top 14 major wars going on in the world right now, of the top 14, 13 of them involve Islam. These movements, Students for Justice in Palestine are, 
which is a, one of the most ironically named groups because it's it's not led by students. It isn't about justice, and there's no such country as Palestine. All right, I just need to interrupt here again and say that uh, that in all seriousness, seriousness here, it's it's been it's been 90 seconds, and I haven't been featured at all, and that seems unfair to me. It seems unfair that Knowles and Clavin get their bigotry featured for a minute and a half, and I'm ignored. That is truly, truly hurtful, Media Matters. Especially because, I guess that was supposed to be a whole chunk of them insulting AOC and Ilhan Omar. I've insulted them too. So what, you didn't, what, my insults weren't good enough to make it in that part of the, the hate montage? Pretty hurtful. That cuts deep. No, I, I don't think that Tlaib has dual loyalty because there's no evidence at all that she's loyal to America in the first place. Um, immigrants today, though, it's, it's a very different situation. They are not building the country because it's already built. And oftentimes, they're not even interested in being part of our culture. They want to come here and do their own thing. Trump promulgated that whole birther nonsense. And it was nonsense, but I didn't think that was racist either. That's a fantasy. The fantasy that... Trump is making racism worse, that he's bringing out from under the rock all the evil white supremacists. The white supremacism is a growing problem, which the numbers show that it is not. White males of today are not allowed to look back in history and admire or enjoy the work of other white males. The point he's making that civilization has come from Europe is true. I read his manifesto, uh, The Great Replacement, it was called, because he is objecting to the fact that uh, immigrants of color, and it wasn't necessarily Islam, he didn't sound too friendly to Jews or anybody else. He said he believed in white people, and he defined pe white people as people of European descent. Okay, so there we have Clavin simply describing, reporting what was in a manifesto. Um, I, 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 I can't even figure out how that, I really, I actually can't figure out how that made it in there. I feel like they're trying to pad Clavin's stats a little bit by putting stuff like that in there, which really isn't fair. He's had a few things that, I mean, come on, how does that, how does that make it in the, in the montage at all? All right, let's, um, so we got a few more minutes. Let's watch the rest of this. He says, how is Barack Obama black? He's also white. It's also a fair point. You will see illegal aliens waving the Mexican flag. If you want to live under the Mexican flag, go back to Mexico. Multiculturalism is a implausible, implausible philosophy. It cannot be, it cannot be that cultures that enslave people, that cultures that treat women like trash, that those cultures are equal to cultures that do not. That cannot be. That was one of the things that was kind of lost in the, in the whole Me Too hysteria. There were also plenty of cases... Um, where you looked at it, and it was pretty apparent that the women were also culpable. Feminists are insecure about the fact that they themselves are not men. This, you know, hysteria um, that we found in the Me Too movement is that it engenders suspicion. So if we don't say that, hey, this Chelsea Manning was actually Bradley Manning at the time, and if we call it in the her and say she, we're being polite, we're not being hurtful. Now, I'll call anybody anything when they want to be called. I really will. I'll call him the king of Romania. I don't care. This All right, let's stop again, because see, this is what I'm talking about. Clavin says that, um, that he'll call people whatever they want to be called. How did that make it in the mind? Isn't that exactly what he's what we're supposed to say? Isn't, isn't that just being respectful? How did that make it in? Does he work for Media Matters or something? I think that Andrew Clavin works for Media Matters, and that's why he put a lot of his own stuff in here and featured himself, padded his bigotry stats, 
I'm starting to get suspicious, okay? These conspiracies now are, are floating around in my head because that doesn't make any sense to me. All right, we got, um, let's, let's play the last minute of this uh, trip down memory lane. This is especially true in these hot-button social issues like transgenderism, where you could face social consequences if you speak obvious truths. You could speak professional, you could face professional consequences if you speak obvious truths. You can cut your body into 17 different pieces. You still will not change your gender. Every cell you have is of a specific gender. People are so desperate to be included, to be included in the supposedly oppressed LGBT category that they're making up label, labels that make no sense just so they can be included. Just goes to show you that this is not an oppressed group. In fact, it shows you that the opposite is the case. It shows you that this is a privileged group. Pride Month. Now it's about gender. It's about sexual identity. So now there aren't just two genders. There are 56 different genders. These gay activists are out there prowling like lions, waiting for these kids to come and tell them there's, that their religion, your religion rejects you. There is no God. Your family rejects you. Families stink. The patriarchy stinks. Marriage is between a man and a woman. No amount of social engineering is going to change that. So if we're talking about two gay men adopting a child, so you think the mothers, we just, you know, we, uh, you know it doesn't need a mother. Uh, a man cannot function as a mother. He thinks that a man can be a woman, and a woman can be a man just because he puts on lipstick. If you put on lipstick, then you're a woman. But of course, that's not what makes a woman. So if marriage is going to be anything, and if it's going to have any purpose whatsoever, then it must be a union between a man and a woman. So there you go. Uh, by the way, elephant in the room here, why isn't Ben in the montage at all? I mean, come on. Was Media Matters just, I guess they were trying to give the rest of us a chance to shine, which, which, uh, which I, I appreciate that, I, I guess, pretty, pretty thoughtful, but a little bit, little bit surprising. Now, if it's, if it's possible to find anything serious to say about what we just watched together, it is pretty revealing that the, the leftist minions at Media Matters selected those clips, okay, and they, they put them all together without explaining why they're offensive. That's what's funny here is that they, it's, they don't go into any, any explanation. They just show us the clips, assuming that the clips are so offensive that they don't even need to explain why they're offensive. They think it just speaks for itself. It's self-evident that this is, this is offensive stuff. Meanwhile, most people are going to watch most of that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth or tell you how you feel about it, but I'm, I'm guessing most of the people watching right now or listening, um, when you hear that montage, you're th you, probably your thought was something like, um, okay. Because most of that is just really innocuous and, and pretty self-evident. So it shows how we're living, we're, we really are living in, two, forget about, li, about living in two separate countries. Some people say that this country has become so divided ideologically that it's like two separate countries um, or, or even, or more countries, you know, maybe it's fractured even more than that. But I, I think it's worse than living in two separate countries. It seems to me that we're living in two separate universes. Um, we are just living in two separate realities. That's how far apart we are. If you could watch that montage and come away truly offended by most of what you heard there, 
and shocked and appalled by it, uh, then you you're 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 living in, you're living in some other universe. I I can't even. You're living in a universe where basic, fundamental truth, is offensive. And that's what makes the divide in our country now. That's what makes it so much more severe and 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 so much worse than times past. I've said before, and I believe that we are more divided now than we were during the Civil War. Significantly more divided. And I don't think that, I'm not saying that I think we're actually going to have another civil war. I don't think we will for any number of reasons. One being that the divide is not exactly uh, precisely geographical like it was back then. There are geographical elements to it, but it's not, it's not quite as clean as it was then. And, um, and, and other reasons too. I just don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. But ideologically, culturally, I think we are, there's a, there's a greater divide because even back in the civil war, they disagreed, obviously, on some very important issues. And I think even more significant than that, as far as what caused the war to happen, was the cultural. There are two very different cultures in the North and in the South. The industrial culture of the North, the agrarian um, you know, uh, culture of the South. But they still agreed on, on really fundamental things. There was a fundamental agreement on things like objective truth. There is a God. Um, there is objective morality. Now, they disagreed on what was moral and what wasn't, notably the issue of slavery. So there were substantial disagreements in the realm of morality, but they both at least agreed that objective morality is a thing that exists. So if you can get there at least, when both sides who are arguing over something can at least agree that, yeah, morality exists, it's a thing, um, but now let's argue about whether or not this particular thing is moral. Well, at least there, there's some hope of eventually reaching an agreement. But if you can't even agree that objective morality is a thing in the first place, then your argument can go nowhere. So those that's that's our divide has gone much deeper than divides in the past and um this is just one minor example but um uh that's i think that's the trouble all right mattwallshow at gmail.com mattwallshow at gmail.com is the email address we'll take a look at some emails uh this is from peter says hello supreme leader walsh i hope this email finds you well and the glory of my beard will at least grant me the blessing of a quick death when your regime comes despite the fact that i am about to attempt to enlighten your already all-knowing magnificence i agree with your overall take on video games and their desensitizing effect on the mind even though i'm a pretty avid gamer myself the dirty secret is that i believe the vast majority of other gamers would also probably agree with your general take that children of a certain age should cap their amount of time playing games and hyper-gore, artificial though it may be, obviously doesn't have a positive psychological effect on a still-molding mind. That, just to stop you there, that's interesting. So you're telling me, that makes me feel a little bit better. You're telling me that, that this is according to you, maybe you're wrong, but it's your feeling, based on your conversations with other gamers, that most gamers would actually agree with a lot of what I've said, even if they won't say it. Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better, because I, you know, th- that was the frustrating thing for me when we're talking about this video game thing. 
I, yes, I'm biased in favor of my own points, but I do feel like most of the points I've made are pretty obvious. And it's, it's hard for me to believe there could be disagreement. Things like it's, it's, it's not healthy for a kid to spend hours and hours a day playing video games. He should do other things like go outside and be in the fresh air. And things like if a kid is exposed to hyper, as you say, hyper gore, really, really violent video games um, for, for, for hours a day starting early in childhood, that probably will have a psychological impact. To me, those two propositions are, are, are extremely obvious, shouldn't be controversial. And so what you're saying is you think most gamers would actually agree, though maybe they, well, I'll read the rest of what you're saying here. Um, the thing is that, no, I'm not going to read the rest of it. I'll just tell you what you're saying. I won't do that. Uh, the thing is that uh, that measured that measured take is usually not the stance held by the media or politicians alike, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. Ever uh, since the 90s, video games have always been one of the major boogeymen that get trotted out after a shooting and put up as a main cause right next to the Second Amendment. So this over-defensiveness of gamers is a reflexive response established over literal decades to the regular vilification of our favorite hobby. It's like how Republicans will say that Trump does no wrong to the press, even though they might not like something he tweeted or said. It's showing a united front against a perceived enemy coming into our territory, especially since the overreaction could even lead to ridiculous regulations in our still relatively untouched sphere of entertainment. I know this isn't how you think, but was just giving, uh, hoping to give some perspective on this controversial topic. Well, that was helpful. Um, that was a helpful, helper, help, helpful perspective. You started by saying you were going to disagree with me, but I don't think you disagreed at all. Um, you're just giving the perspective of uh, trying to explain maybe why some gamers are reluctant to have this conversation. And I, I, I understand you, 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 you make the comparison to Donald Trump. And I think that's an apt comparison because you say that you know, there are Republicans and conservatives who disagree with a lot of what Trump says, but in, in public they'll, they'll defend it and, and because they're trying to show a united front. I, I could say for sure, I know that's the case because I, I've been in green rooms, all right, I've been in green rooms with, with, with people who are sitting there complaining about what Trump said, and then they go on TV and defend it. So I've, and anyone who's in media, we've all been in that. We all know. In media, we all know the conversations we have behind the scenes. Um, and I just, I'll just tell you that uh, I've talked to a lot of people in the conservative media space, and things like Trump's tweeting Almost, it, there's agreement among almost everybody that it's stupid and he needs to stop a lot of it. But they won't say it publicly, a lot of them. And I, I, I can understand the thought process. United front and all that. And you don't want to say something that's going to be exploited by, um, by, by the, the other side, as it were. But I still think that Number one, we, we can't forfeit truth. I, I, if we do that, even if it seems like a small truth, if we forfeit truth and honesty, uh, then I, I really don't see the point of anything anymore. So this isn't a sermon or a homily on my part. I, I really, I honestly do not see, I, I do not see the point. If we're going to say, well, let's not be honest, let's not be truthful. Let's pretend to hold views we don't actually have for the sake of winning. Well, I could dispute whether or not that's actually a, a, an effective strategy. I don't think it is. But even if it were, I, I don't, what are we fighting for? 
the thing that gets me up every morning, um, the thing that motivates me is that I feel like I'm fighting for truth, you know, and if I'm, if, if that's not it, if we're giving that up and say, yeah, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter as much. Then I, I don't see the point. I don't, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I might as well just go work at, you know, I, I, I might as well just leave this and, and, and go work at Jiffy Lube or something. It's just why, why do this? So even something like video games, I, I, you know, if you agree that there are some issues with video games um, and things like we should, we should parent, not the government, parents should regulate how much time their kids spend playing video games, things like that, I think you should say so publicly. For, for no other reason than it's, it's the honest thing to do. And if that's, if that's not enough to motivate us, that I also think, you know, um, coming across as less reasonable than you really are, I don't think that's an effective debating strategy. So when you have gamers that deny, at least publicly, well, even if they feel differently in their heads, who publicly deny that there's anything wrong with video games at all or that they could have any negative impact, well, you just come across as unreasonable. And people are going to take you less seriously. So if we're not worried about the, the moral aspect of, of being dishonest, then what about this? I think coming across as unreasonable, as incapable of nuanced thinking, I don't think that ultimately helps. I think it's going to, what it leads to, whether we're talking about gamers or Trump fans or any, any category of people, when they pretend to be less reasonable than they are, they pretend that they can't understand nuanced arguments. Uh, I think what that leads to is people aren't going to take you seriously anymore. And they're not going to listen to what you have to say. See, I've, I've been at this point with, with a lot of gamers, honestly, um, this week that I've gotten tons of emails and messages and things from, from, from people who play video games. And 90% of them are so unreasonable uh, that it makes me want to tune it out and say, I don't care what any of you people have to say. I can't, because I can't talk to you. Now I hear from someone like you, um, Peter, and it makes me say, okay, well, here's a reasonable person. I'm so glad. That's why I'm talking to you now for 20 minutes. I'm just so, it's so refreshing. I can talk to a reasonable person about this. So I think um, being reasonable, I think, I think is uh, not only the morally correct choice, but I, I, ultimately I, I think it helps us. Um, whatever your cause may be, I think it helps your cause. All right. This is from LD it says, hello, Matt. You're a fan of calling things stupid and cowardly. Well, you rant about white supremacy, your, your rant about white supremacy and anti-Semitism yesterday, white supremacy and anti-Semitism in scare quotes, by the way, was stupid and cowardly. These are hoaxes perpetuated by the left to slander conservatives. You play right into their hands by panicking about these boogeymen disappointed. Um, okay, LD. I agree that the left slanders conservatives as white supremacists and white nationalists and racists. And I talk about that all the time. Uh, and I am obviously opposed to that. And those labels don't have the impact they once did because they are so often misused. And that's something that a lot of us have been trying to explain to the left for a while now. That when you go around calling everybody that, anyone who disagrees with you is a racist, well, what you've made it is so that when you actually encounter a real racist, you have nothing left to say about them that will have any impact 
because you've already used that word a million times where it didn't apply. And so it's the old boy who cried wolf situation. So that's, that's, that's all true. But to suggest that white nationalist racists don't exist is obviously absurd. They, they do exist. They've been coming after me all week. Okay? I, I can report. They exist. Talk to Ben. Talk, you know, uh, Ben has 24-hour security following him around because of these people, because of the threats that he gets. So I, you know, LD, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm gonna do you the favor of assuming that you just don't know what you're talking about, and maybe you don't because you, just, you, you haven't, you haven't encountered these people, you haven't come up against them, and so you, you just don't know. But I'm telling you, they exist. They are very real. And Ben is not the only media figure who needs security around the clock because of them. That's not a joke. That's that's real. Um, and they are some of the most vile creatures on earth. Without, without even, it's not even close. I can tell you, it's not even close. Uh, when it comes to the hate mail and stuff that I get, the 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 most disgusting, vile hate mail, dr- talking about my family, you know, personal stuff. I mean, the majority of it comes from these types. These types who you say don't even exist. Well, am I hallucinating? We're all just hallucinating here. Well, I'll tell you what's not a hallucination is the three mass shootings. Over 80 people have died in three mass shooting events um, perpetrated by people who specifically were motivated by white nationalist talking points. They all specifically stated that they were committing these acts to advance the white nationalist cause. Three mass shootings in eight months. How many do you need? That's what I asked yesterday. Do you need 10? Do you need 15, 20, 30? It's It's a real question. How many do you need before you're willing to admit that, yes, they're real and they're a problem. 80 people dead in eight months. That's not enough for you. An average of 10 a month. Not enough. What do you need? You need, you need 90, 100, 800. Just give me a number. Give me the number. Give me the body count. White nationalists are a small group, yes. They're a fringe group, yes. But they are loud. They are vocal. They are scum. And every once in a while, they go out and murder dozens of people. The suggestion that we should just ignore them and pretend they don't exist, well, well, what else do I call that but stupid and cowardly? You're right. I am a fan of those two words because there's so much stupid and cowardly stuff happening. And here's an example. Maybe I should say stupid or cowardly. I think if, you're gonna, if you really think that they don't exist or they're not an issue, then I think that's just stupidity on your part. If you know they exist and that they're out killing people and you say we still, still shouldn't talk about it, then you're a coward. So those are the two options. Um, listen, goes without saying, but if, if there had been three of the deadliest mass shootings in history, totaling 80, 80 casualties, um, over the last few months, perpetrated by Antifa members, then ULD and every conservative would be screaming about it at the top of your lungs. And I know you're going to say, well, Dayton, Ohio, that was an Antifa member. Sure, it was. And what are conservatives doing? They're screaming about it. And for good reason, even though, look, there, there is, and the, the, his, that shooter was a radical left winger. That's a fact. That's a fact that should be discussed. 
It's a relevant fact. It is a. It is a. It is also a fact that um, we know that if you know if, if he were a Trump fan and all this stuff, uh, the media would be plastering that everywhere. They're not with in this case, and that's for political reasons, and that's dishonest. So that's all true. It's also true, and it can't be denied, that there is a distinction between the El Paso shooter and the Dayton shooter in that we know that the El Paso shooter was specifically doing this for political reasons, to advance his, his evil ideology, which is white nationalism. We know that. He was very clear about that. Now, the Dayton shooter, as it stands right now, we don't know his motives. It's, it's, right now, it seems very possible that he happened to be a left-wing uh, lunatic, but this was a and he killed his own sister. So it seems like this could have been a domestic thing, and the politics were unrelated or only tangentially related. And that's we, you know I, I, maybe that's another one of those truths I'm supposed to just pretend I don't notice, or it's a distinction I'm supposed to pretend I can't see, you know, in order to be a good team player. But that's a, uh, that's 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 the reality. And what I'm saying is if. In the past eight months, there have been three massive mass shootings. Like I said, three of the worst in history have been carried out by these people in eight months. If there have been three mass shootings to that level in the last eight months, perpetrated by Antifa members who wrote manifestos saying they were doing this um, in order to advance the Antifa cause, you would have conservatives saying, you know what, we need to shut down every Antifa group. We need to arrest all of them. It needs to be, we, you know, the next time the Antifa gathers, the FBI needs to show up, arrest them all, throw them in Guantanamo. That's what conservatives would be saying. And we all know it. Instead, what you're saying about this, LD, because you are a coward, is, oh, you know, they, they don't even exist. These white nats, they don't exist. No, I, I see nothing. See nothing. I see nothing. All right. Um... From Eric says, hi, Matt, I'm a huge fan of the show. Just wanted to thank you for your sobering view on many of the tough issues. As someone who rejected almost all of my parents' attempts to get me into sports and grew up on video games, I was hoping to add, uh, as you could tell, like, as I said, 90% of my, of my email this week has been about video games. Um, I was hoping to add a very different perspective to the violence of video games topic. I think people get overly defensive of video games at the drop of a hat due to video games historically being blamed and attacked on multiple occasions. Okay, so this is a similar point to the one I just read. Uh, I'll finish reading it, though. Hillary in 2005 advocated for regulations against them and Gamergate, just to give examples. Just like in the gun debate, I think there is a reflex amongst the people who hold them dear to react very defensively out of fear that things will be taken away, whether or not it's justified. I think this is the reaction we are seeing. Um, I think to your point, parents to your point, parents should be, uh, should be taking over here, just as you wouldn't let a seven-year-old watch Saving Private Ryan. You shouldn't let them play games like Grand Theft Auto either. The only point of disagreement I would have is that I've actually seen research showing video games can act as an outlet for the pent-up excitement young boys have. Unlike static forms of media such as movies and television, this was certainly true for me growing up, and my love of them allowed me to make friends that I have had for life. Uh, yeah, uh, so I already re- kind of responded to that point, and, uh, and it's, you know, I take your point. Um, you, you also threw in that this can, it can be an outlet for aggression. Uh, you know, I, I've expressed my skepticism of studies on this issue on, on either side, because I think the methodology, it just, it doesn't, it, it can't really get to the heart of the matter because we're dealing with what motivates human behavior. And that's a really hard thing to quantify in a study. But um, I would have to look at the study you're talking about that it's a, that this is a, or the research saying this is an outlet. 
Um, I, it would seem to me that playing video games would be, like TV, a method of suppressing the energy and excitement and, and aggression of a young boy. Um, so an outlet in that sense, which isn't really an outlet, it's suppressive. But uh, I don't see how it could replace, I don't see how it could really replace it. Because the energy and aggression that a, that a young boy has, it's very physical. There's a physicality to it. And that's why you, you see a, you know, a six-year-old boy like my son just bouncing around the house, literally climbing the walls, jumping over the furniture, running around. I mean, the, I've never seen the kid walk. Six years, I've never seen him walk. I've never seen him walk from point A to point B. Well, okay, unless I told him, like, go to bed or go clean your room, and then all of a sudden I'll... And then he, and then he almost crawls he's, going, crawls he's going so slow. So it's with my son, he's either moving literally at the pace of a, of a glacier or like continental drift. He's either going that slowly or he's running. There's no in between. Um, and that's because he's full of energy. And so it's very physical and he, ne- and he just, he needs to get that physical energy out. I don't see how sitting stationary and moving your thumbs could ever be a sufficient outlet for that. I think maybe it could be like a Band-Aid, uh, uh, but the kid also is going to need to get that physical energy out. Um. All right, let's see. Is there one that isn't video game related that I could read here? Um, uh, nope, there isn't. Okay, so I think, we, I think we've covered the, the video game discussion, and we'll just leave it there. Kind of an anticlimactic end. I apologize for that. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. Welcome to my cesspool of bigotry and hate. The leftist hyenas at Media Matters have made a seven-minute video compilation and a 2,500-word article smearing my show and the rest of the Daily Wire crew as a cesspool of bigotry and hate because we suggested that it's wrong to kill babies after they've been born and that men are not women. We examine the real bigots and haters from Media Matters all the way to Joe Biden. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.